Welcome to the program called You Mentor Radio Show here on WASR.live. The purpose of this program is to utilize the skills uh, from our movers and shakers in our communities to inspire the young people, uh, I should say our young people, uh, during their uh, later on in life to expand uh, and, and the, the career paths that they're likely to take. My name is Dawood St. Clair, and I'm going to toss it over to my co-host, Brother Yahya, who will be introducing our guests. And let me let me be the first to welcome our new talk show host, uh, uh, my co-host here, Brother Yahya. Salam alaikum. Welcome. Alaikum salam, Brother Dawood. Uh, thanks for the intro. <laughs> uh, so basically, um, today we're going to have two special guests. Firstly, we've got Brother Samir Tajani, who's a software engineer. He's currently working on Microsoft's cloud computing platform, Azure. He graduated from the University of Pennsylvania with a master's degree in computer science. He spent multiple years volunteering at Iman, a local Islamic community organization in Seattle, where he served on the executive committee and taught at the Sunday school. He lives in Seattle, and he's been working at Microsoft for around 20 years. Uh, and then we have Dr. Jawad Sharif also on the call. Um, he is a research assistant professor at Stony Brook University, where he received a, doctor of a doctorate of philosophy, PhD, in biomedical engineering. Dr. Jawad works on a variety of research product projects, including the evaluation of clotting risk in cardiovascular diseases, devices, development of mathematical models to predict clotting risk in cardiovascular diseases and devices, and a comparison of blood platelet response in adults and newborns. So we've got two really big speakers today, and I'd like to welcome them to the program. So for the first question for Brother Samir, um, for the listeners out there, could you describe a typical day as a software engineer at Microsoft? Sure. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, so my job is strictly not nine to five. Uh, it's you, you. You just show up and you get stuff done. But normally I'm I'm in by nine, and uh, a lot of the younger folks on my team usually show up by around ten. Uh, but usually it's a it's 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 a very casual environment. We don't have like a, a set um, clothing re uh, requirements. So when I show up like in t-shirt and sandals, my brothers get flabbergasted. But um, a lot of time is spent behind the computer. I'm either, you know, uh, coding or debugging. And we have a lot of uh, meetings where we're kind of brainstorming on ideas on how to solve problems. It's usually like a, a group environment. And it's it's a tight uh, environment in the sense that, like, you know, a lot of us co-workers will go for lunch where we kind of continue having uh, conversations. We talk about anything and everything. So I remember one conversation where we were talking about how how soon we could get to Mars. It was a very interesting conversation. Uh, I also have an espresso machine close to my office, so that's always like a meeting point for a lot of us to talk about things. What I really like about my job is that, you know, I'm always working on something new. I'm trying to solve a problem that I've never seen before, so it always keeps it interesting. And it, it keeps it challenging as well. And the other thing is I also like to bike, so biking to work and biking back from work kind of gives me that time where I can think about, you know, the, the problems I, I'm, I'm trying to solve or kind of unwind on the way back. So in a sense, I don't know if that gives you a good idea or not. Yeah, I think it does. Um, just maybe drilling down one more before I get to Dr. Jawad. Um, in terms of the problems you solve, right? So what's an example problem that you would solve on a day-to-day -day basis working at Microsoft? So if, if it's a... Usually you're, sol you're solving a customer problem. So it would be something around, you know, I, uh, I, I have, uh, I'm tr I'll, I'll look into like say, uh, I'll talk about my current position in Azure where customers are deploying what you call virtual machines. But they want to say deploy them at a faster rate than what you can do. So you have to kind of go and drill in where is, where are we slow or where, where are the bottlenecks and try and figure out how can you kind of solve this problem faster. Uh, I'll give you another example from a previous uh, position when I was working in the database group. One of the requirements from the customer was that all their data has to be encrypted so it cannot be viewed by in case they lose their data. 
So you, you have to kind of figure out, okay, what is the best encryption algorithm I can use here and in a way that it solves their problem, but it doesn't make their program too slow. Okay, thank you very much. Um, and Dr. Jawad, so could you also describe a typical day as a research assistant professor of biomedical engineering at Stony Brook University? Sure. Um, before I start off, I'd like to say salam alaikum to everyone on the air and Brother Dawood and Brother Yahya. Thank you, my brother. And, Welcome, salam. Um, so I don't have a typical day on my job. Um, it's a as a research professor, we tend to do a variety of different things. Um, one thing I really like to pride myself on is that I get to be a vampire by day. Um, <laughs> so as I uh, may have heard from my uh, description, I tend to work on uh, projects involving blood clotting. And for our projects, we tend to get uh, fresh blood because it uh, tends to behave the best under different types of uh, studies we like to do. So I start off normally taking blood for my experiments, um, and then I do the experiments, which will take pretty much a big chunk of the day. Um, and then once I'm done, I tend to uh, work with other students in the lab as well, ranging anywhere from high school students to undergraduate students, graduate students, as well as postdocs. And my primary function is to mentor and train them. Um, when I have time, I also ha handle quite a bit of administrative duties, which means either dealing with the um, Stony Brook University administration on a variety of topics, working with senior colleagues on grants. Um, sometimes I also write papers and review a lot of scientific papers from the community. And um, another uh, aspect I like of my job is I get to communicate and liaise with a variety of uh, scientific collaborators as well as industry collaborators, collaborators across the United States and um, even in Europe as well. Uh, so in a nutshell, that's pretty much what I do on a typical day. All right. Assalamu uh, alaikum, gentlemen. So, um, alaikum all right. So I'm going to talk with our my, uh, our Microsoft engineer first, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> in fact, before I get into the computing stuff, I, I want to first thank uh, the HIC community. I have two extremely large computer screens sitting in front of me, and had it not been for the the gracious kindness of the HIC community here in uh, um, in Sanford for them, so I want to publicly and uh, thank. Thank you for these two marvelous screens that I now have here and they're working beautifully. I'm able to work much better, inshallah. So to my Microsoft engineer, uh, you talked about a typical day, you know, you come to work and you flip flops and all that kind of, so it, <laughs> it must be warm where you are. So, I mean, no, that's only the summer. That's only the summer. Okay. So, um, now you, Microsoft is, um, in fact, the computer industry is going through, uh, dare I say, some questionable issues, i.e., you know, Facebook and all the different uh, tech giants that are, that are out there. What sort of stuff is Microsoft doing to keep our young people safe today? Uh, in terms of uh, data being mined and, and used for nefarious purposes and stuff like that. I mean, is that the sort of stuff you get involved in from uh, from a day-to-day -day basis? Um, on the periphery. So mm -hmm. a lot of it, uh, a lot of these things that are happening now. So there's this new law that came out, I think, from the European Union that yes. went into effect on May 25th, uh, GDPR. Yes. I just know the acronym. I don't know what it stands for. Mm -hmm. But I know there was a big push within Microsoft, for example, to make sure we are compliant. And privacy has become uh, in, has come out in the forefront, especially in the last few years. Mm. So it, it's it's something that you know we are cognizant of, and we want to make sure we we do not give away data that people have kind of trusted us with. So it's 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 something that we have to deal with. Uh, we have to make sure, so for example, where I'm working right now in Azure, you have data centers across the world. And we have, there are some cases where we have to make sure that customer data does not go from one data center to the other. Hmm. And so this that's where 
part of my job comes in and, and says, okay, you know, there is uh, data here that's been entrusted to us by our customer. How do we kind of make sure that it doesn't go? Uh, if, if we're trying to kind of bring up, say, a new data center, you want to make sure that everything is is uh, is is locked up well. In fact, one of the things that companies you, we hire to say go and figure out how secure our data is would use very low level uh, techniques to get to the data. They'll try and just come to the data center and see if they can get in without, <laughs> you know, badging in. So those are all the things that we have to kind of worry about, low tech as well as high tech. Now, the other day I was, in fact, I carried a news report um, that someone successfully hacked into a 737 while it was in flight. I think that it was it was actually deliberately done. Now, is Microsoft? Uh, I mean, how easy it is. I don't know if this is uh, in your realm at the, for the, to ask this question, but you're on an airplane, a 747, 737, whatever the case may be, and somebody's sitting next to you with an iPad, and all of a sudden they hacked in. They hack into the, the to the cockpit. So, um, is this the kind of stuff that? Your your um your your um what you do is this uh, your part of part of your duties also? Uh, so when I was working in the database product uh, SQL Server, I, I did a stint of five years working in security, mm. and uh, part of it was doing some of this stuff. So mm. what you have you you have this concept of what is called ethical hacking. Yeah. So you'd have this other, like a team, so that have like two teams, a red team and a blue team, and the red team is trying to always break into your software. Mm. Um, so you, your role is trying to make sure that that, is, that does not happen. But there are multiple layers of, of, um, of security. So one of the things I was talking about is encryption. So if your data is encrypted, it, even if it gets lost, it cannot be decrypted unless, uh, unless they figure out a way to kind of uh, break through that. The, the, another layer would be something like what we call auditing. And in, in the way we look at it is it's keeping honest people honest. So you, all your actions are being audited. So in case you decide to do something nefarious, it's still it's being tracked such that you can be prosecuted. And that's good enough to keep some people from not doing some, some of these things. So there are multiple layers of security. Going back to what you were just talking about right now regarding somebody hacking into uh, the, the plane. Yes, it, the, these kind of things can happen, but usually what they do is that they have multiple layers of security or they have they isolate things. So if somebody hacks into, say, the, the online, uh, the, the in-flight entertainment system, it's not that big a deal as opposed to them kind of hacking into the the system that actually controls how much the power is going mm -hmm. to each of the jet engines. The avionics and stuff. Exactly, yes. Mm -hmm. So isn't groups, I mean, companies like Microsoft, uh, you know, the giant, the tech giants that are out there, Aren't they giving tools then to the enemies of Islam, i.e., you know, the terrorists and stuff? Because they're not gonna, they, they figure they they're gonna figure out a way, you know. Well, look, I can't take over the plane, you know, physically, so I can sit somewhere in a room with a, you know, with a tablet or an iPad. Is it, aren't companies like Microsoft arming these folks to 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 penetrate, um, uh, I guess, high security equipment? Well, you have to you have to kind of it's it's a risk uh, it's a risk analysis uh, mm -hmm. risk benefit analysis that you have to do. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the software that has come out has done a lot of good, mm -hmm. and so the thing is you you can't just say that because there is this there's this risk that somebody might be able to kind of hack into it. Mm -hmm. Of course, you have to go in and make sure that your your software is uh, very secure. And 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 there, there, there's always going to be a security hole, and that's why you have security researchers always kind of looking at some of these things. And a lot of times, a lot of the companies do collaborate. So, for example, like Google has their own research uh, security research team. If they find flaws in Windows, they let us know beforehand mm. so that we can fix it before it goes public. Mm. I see. You're listening to the You Mentor Radio Show right here on um, WASR.live. We have two giants uh, uh, in the studio with us this afternoon, along with my new co-hosts, Brother Yahya. And uh, Brother Yahya, again, I want to welcome you. Uh, thank you for being a part of the team, sir. 
No, thank you for having me. <laughs> All right. Also, I forgot to mention that if you would like to take part um, in the program, you can always call us here at the studio. I'm sure our guests will be more than happy to answer any questions uh, that you uh, that you may pose. The lines are open right now. That number is 407-853-5129. Also, you can register uh, at the Umoja Outreach Foundation's website if you would like to uh, ask a question to any of our panelists at the end of the program. And again, that website is the Umoja Foundation. Uh, I'm sorry, the Umoja Outreach uh, forward dot org forward slash Umentor. So, um, Doctor, uh, you mentioned earlier, I picked up on it, um, you talked about uh, going to Mars. <laughs> Salam alaikum. Alaikum salam. I believe that might have been Brother Samir who actually mentioned going to Mars. Oh, okay. My apologies. My apologies. So, in that case, I'm going to toss it back to my co host, Brother Yahya, uh, sure. to continue the conversation. Yeah, no, no worries. So, I guess, um, Dr. Jawad, um, in terms of like the stuff that you're working on, the research, the research projects, um, the clotting, like you talked about being a vampire <laughs> by day. That's, it's, I guess that and Mars kind of both pretty much out there. So maybe that's where I see the confusion. Oh, okay. But um, anyway, so based on your, your career so far, what would be the most interesting project you've taken or worked on um, as a research professor um, in biomedical engineering? Actually, I've worked on quite a few interesting projects. And the, while all of them have something to do with blood or blood clotting, they're all very interesting on right. Um, a few years ago, I actually worked on a project uh, where we were communicating with a medical device company that makes uh, artificial blood pumps to help uh, patients with failing hearts. Um, and these devices are called ventricular assist devices. So you can imagine like tiny jet engines you're putting inside the body to help blood flow through the rest of the body from a failing heart. Um, and the problem with these devices is that they tend to generate really turbulent conditions that not only um, make the sort of the blood unhappy, it not only causes the blood to form clots, so you have a risk of having a heart attack or a stroke, but it also causes bleeding. So now you have two very big problems. Um, and our group's uh, project was to try and figure out if the design of this device could be changed to make them uh, better for these patients with heart failure and also minimize uh, the risk of these two problems, clotting and bleeding. And um, in the long term, not only have them reduce, uh, the patients reduce the types of very potent medications they were taking, but also give them a better quality of life. Uh, so our group is divided into two parts. So we have a part that works on computer simulations. And my part, which involves taking the computer simulations and pretty much validating what the computer programs come up and therefore take the science fiction to reality and actually study what happens to the blood. Um, so in this study, what I ended up doing was I actually uh, got the devices from the company and we actually put them in little loops, collect blood from our, I should say, healthy donors, not patients, and actually uh, pass them through these devices uh, for a certain amount of time at different conditions. And then what we did was we collected the samples from, from the device, the blood samples from the device, and tested for different uh, markers of clotting. Um, and we did this for several different models of the device, as well as compared to competitor uh, uh, ventricular assist devices, to show that one uh, company's device was even better than the other company's device. Um, and what the company ended up doing was to actually use that information and actually file it with the FDA, which is responsible for approving medical devices for use in the United States. So, uh, for, alhamdulillah for us, uh, we actually got to see a near immediate impact off of our scientific research. And one thing I do have to mention, unfortunately, a lot of times um, 
there's a lot of misconception about people who do scientific research in academia is that we spend months, years, even decades doing the same kind of work. And unfortunately, it never gets out and impacts society. So alhamdulillah, I can say I'm in a position where the work that I do uh, gets to actually benefit society in the short term. All right, doctor. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead, brother Yahya. No, no, go ahead. I was uh, just going to say that's amazing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, on the same vein now, doctor, I suffer from retinitis pigmentosa. I don't know if you're familiar with that uh, eye condition. Uh, I was told that um, obviously there is no known cure for it. Now, what is your opinion then in the profession that you're in? What is your opinion then on things like stem cell research, uh, gene therapy, uh, and, and so forth? What, what are your opinions? I mean, do you think it's an ethical practice to, to partake in? What say you? Well, um, so I don't directly deal with stem cell research or, or uh, gene therapy per se, but yes, it's a very hot topic um, right now, not only for people in my field, but also ethicists, clinicians, uh, people who, who provide healthcare. Um, so the question is, of course, we have to come from different angles, right? And the one thing I can also throw in is I have to think about how it reflects my Islamic values as well. Um, so it really depends on how you think of it. One you can say is that Allah has given you alcohol and the means to help somebody uh, solve the problems. Another issue that you have to look at it is um, are you altering Allah's creation, right? Mm -hmm. So it's always a balance um, back and forth. So if you're doing it in such a way, in my opinion, if you're doing such a way that if you're helping um, at least alleviate some of the problems that a certain person is having, it may be okay. If you're doing something that uh, might not be very ethical in terms of like giving somebody uh, like an uh, immortal, immortality, then I would say that's probably not uh, reflective of, of my values and my Islamic values. All right. Thank you very much for that, uh, Doctor. I'm going to toss it over now to uh, Brother Yahya uh, to continue yep. the, on the, with the conversation. Sure. So I guess um, on the same lines, um, Brother Samir, uh, what's a, you've been working at Microsoft for 20 years. So there's probably a lot, a lot of projects in IT, and IT has changed 20 years ago till now. So I know it's a hard question, but out of all the projects or, um, and teams you've been a part of, what would you say would be the most interesting project or problem that you've solved as part of your role as a software engineer? So one of them that comes to mind, I mean, there, there have been a lot of uh, a lot of these interesting experiences I've been through, and you're right, uh, IT has, has really ch changed over the you know the last couple of decades. One of the ones that comes to mind is when I was working in security as part of the database group. And at that time, you know, we, we you have all these regulations that were that that customers were asking for. So, for example, healthcare has certain regulations where they want their data encrypted or they want to uh, make sure that things are being audited. Uh, the same thing was happening with like the the credit card industry. So you have customers like you know Visa and Mastercard wanting to make sure that the credit card transactions are are protected so they cannot be uh, hacked. So. To, to, to implement a custom encryption solution is very hard for people who are developing uh, applications on top of a database server. So we came up with a novel way of being able to encrypt the data on the database itself uh, in, in a transparent fashion. So we call it transparent database encryption. Uh, in addition to that, we also added uh, a way that uh, like the, the administrators of the database could audit what are the different actions that were happening on the um, on the database, so that kind of set the standard. Uh, that set the, the 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 standard for what companies would then use to to say, okay, we for for you to have to to store our data, you have to have these bunch of options on in if you're using uh, the Microsoft's database product. I guess the cherry on top for working on this for, with my team was that I got to demo it for Bill Gates, and it was a it was a pretty good experience. Uh, I, I still remember that. Wow, that is that is really cool. Really, like you, you basically 
were a trailblazer in a sense in the computer and tech industry with that sort of project, correct? Um, in a way, I mean, all of the different, all of the companies were trying to solve the same thing right. as well. Some ahead of us, some 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 behind us, but just the 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 whole problem behind, say, encryption is that there is a performance penalty you pay, and so how do you do it in such a way that you you're not paying the performance penalty and still keeping the data secure? So trying to figure that out was was a nice challenge and you know like a head scratcher. <laughs> All right, uh, you're listening to the program called You Mentor. It's a part of the Umoja Outreach Project, uh, and uh, you can find out more information by logging onto their website at uh, Umoja uh, Umoja Outreach uh, Foundation at dot org and uh, forward slash You Mentor. So, Doctor, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Samir. Assalamu alaikum to you again, sir. Um, now, what what was the most challenging of projects uh, i know uh, brother yahyat um started the question uh, to post you but what was the most challenging task in in your in your entire career that you had to undergo in the 20 years that you've been uh, at microsoft uh, that, you can remember, <laughs> that you can remember right? sorry to put you on the spot there with this one <laughs> Well, there are challenges every day. Uh-huh. But, uh, but what I was the most one, memorable one? So I guess uh, one of the most challenging one was uh, when I was working in Windows and we decided to have a big strategy shift. And the, the thing was that uh, I was then working, I was a, uh, then a manager leading a team of uh, people. And we kind of got... The, what ended up happening is we ended up taking on more responsibilities that included test mm-hmm. and making sure that the the product we are signing off on is, is of high quality. Mm-hmm. And that the the challenge in that sense was uh, we we had multiple like it's, it's like, it, the the analogy I'd give it is it's you're trying to change an engine on a plane while it's flying. So you want to make sure that everything's <laughs> works, uh, but at the same time you're kind of make putting on uh, new features. Mm. Uh, so the, the interesting thing was at that time was that I had to take on a lot more responsibilities. So, for example, taking taking on uh, testing responsibilities and making sure that everything that my team is delivering is of high quality. Mm. Um, making sure that everything's running well, so that my team doesn't get impacted. Uh, so, in a sense, it was more of a say a, a management challenge than a, a technological challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's the one that 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 comes to mind. And uh, to stay, obviously, staying on the Microsoft, because there's going to be a lot of young people who are listening today who are using computers, uh, you know, the Android devices and stuff like that, which Microsoft, I understand, are mainly behind. So. Now, I remember, you know, I am an avid, in fact, I still have a computer that uses Windows XP and I refuse to get rid of it. But all of a sudden, Microsoft came out with Vista out of nowhere. What on earth happened there, brothers? (laughs) What happened? (laughs) Well, I... I, I, it's uh, it, it, Vista was was uh, was uh, it, it had it had strong ambitions, mm-hmm. but I, and I think. Oh, it, you mean you mean it, the people behind it had strong ambitions? <laughs> no, it, it, it was trying to solve uh, a lot of uh, things. It was trying to innovate a lot in mm-hmm. in, uh, in certain areas, and uh, I think it it was it may not have been ready for its time yet, and mm-hmm. it may have needed more time to kind of bake. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how you ended up uh, getting. Um, uh, you know, going, getting, um, you know, the, the, the better operating, like having Windows 7. Mm-hmm. So Windows 7 really Beautiful. is what this should have been. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right. So, um, uh, Doctor, uh, my question uh, to you, um, what was the most a challenging project in all of your research uh, in your medical profession. What was the most challenging uh, that you ha- that you can call to your memory right now? Well, like, like uh, Brother Samir mentioned, every day has new sets of challenges. And mm-hmm. for me, it's not so much the projects I've had, because some of them have been pretty challenging. Some of them have been relatively easy. But I guess the, the bigger challenge for me always is, uh, I would say, since I'm a research professor, I'm still early on in my career stage, 
developing my career is always, uh, I would say, is an ongoing challenge. So when before I became a research professor, I was a postdoctoral fellow. So I just newly received my PhD and had gotten additional training in the types of research projects that I do today. Then on became a research scientist and it, uh, took on more responsibilities, including day-to-day uh, -day lab administration, um, collaborating with different institutions across the U.S. and, and the world, um, and also trying to mentor students under me. And I think the biggest uh, challenge that I'm always trying to improve on this is uh, managing my priorities and managing my time. Um, and now as a research assistant professor, not only do I have to do all those other things, I also sometimes give guest lectures, I have to prepare for classes. I um, also have to write my own uh, grant applications to get uh, funding for my projects from both private and uh, public sources. And, and um, in addition, our collaborations with different institutions has grown as well. And I also have to judge um, uh, up and coming students going through the PhD program at a university on the uh, readiness to be a, a PhD candidate and go on and become a scientist. So all in all, I, I, these are challenges that, that I love um, and it just gives me a better, uh, I guess, training in managing my priorities and my time so I can put the best effort on everything um, that is in front of me. Inshallah. So, so I'm sorry, go ahead, brother. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. Yeah, go um, ahead. Just a not really a follow-up, but for again, Dr. Jawad. Um, so you graduated, right, in mechan as a mechanical engineer, uh, and then you did your PhD in biomedical engineering. So there, are, there aren't a lot of people in our community that have done biomedical engineering. Um, so what, when did you know you wanted to do biomedical engineering and then specifically look into uh, the research that you're doing? Um, how, did, how did that whole, whole ambition come to play? Was it before you started in high school, you had a vision for this and you knew that you just had to do mechanical engineering to get there? Or was it something in school that triggered it? What was your trigger point or how did you know that you wanted to do biomedical engineering? So it's an interesting story. Um, so this for this uh, question, we would have to go all the way back to my, I guess, childhood. Um, so my family has uh, quite a few doctors on both uh, my dad and my mom's side, um, and a few engineers as well. Uh, so of course, there was a nat natural, I guess, uh, internal uh, pressure to do something medically related. But um, if anybody knew me when growing up as a kid, I used to be out in uh, sometimes near going to the beach and while people will be building sandcastles I'll be building highways and pyramids and and whatnot so I always had uh, a feeling that I wanted to do something that involved building things um, and I guess that now that I know it, it's related to engineering but at the same time I still had sort of uh, like an attachment or or yearning to do something medically related because I was inspired by my my dad as well as my my uncles and cousins who were in the medical field and how they were actually helping people improve the quality of life. So this was when I was in high school and I was applying to colleges and I'm like, oh, there's something called uh, biomedical engineering. I can combine both of these passions together. And that was my aha moment. Um, but at that time, I thought I needed a little bit of uh, more mechanical engineering background. Uh, because this was closely related to the types of um, devices that I thought, was, thought I wanted to be into. I was interested in like artificial hearts, artificial heart valves, blood pumps, and so on. Um, so I went and did my bachelor's in mechanical engineering at the University of Buffalo, but I always specialized in biomechanics. Um, and then when it came close to time to graduate, I was had to decide for myself whether I wanted to continue and get more training or if I wanted to go straight and get an industry job. And once again, I had I thought about it. And even though I had a good depth in mechanical engineering, I wanted to learn more about cardiovascular devices. Uh, so when I applied for PhD programs, I looked specifically at labs that were working with cardiovascular devices or blood products. And that's how I ended up at Stony Brook University. Um, and I still work with the, the same lab today. Um, 
And then once I got my PhD, I had a few options. Um, I could have stayed on in academics or I could have gone out to industry or gotten a government job using my degree. And, and at that point, I decided that once again, I still had a very strong passion for learning and uh, rediscovering uh, different scientific principles and also generating information that could help the wider community. And, and that's how I am going on for a postdoctoral fellowship in the same lab, became a research scientist, and by uh, serendipity, I got promoted to a research assistant professor, the position that I hold today. MashaAllah. Again, you're listening to the You Mentor program. This program is specifically geared to speak to our mover, to, to have conversations with our movers and shakers in our community to prompt our young people uh, in the right direction uh, in, la in later life. So, um, Brother Samir, um, uh, I, I would ask, um, and obviously we asked, you know, what challenged you and stuff, but, but my follow up question. Uh, would be how I mean you, you was there a situation you know in your career that something went drastically wrong how and and if it and if it did how how did you recover from the big mistake that you made in your career so yeah I mean in in there are always years when when things are not going well, and uh, I, I think it's just keeping uh, keeping your 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 uh, your focus on on the future and not worrying too much about what has happened. Mm. Uh, I think being being grounded in in our faith really helps. Mm. Uh, the whenever. You know, whenever I face challenges in same, even my, you know, my professional and personal life, I really like to reflect on, uh, say, Surah Al-Insharah, because the, the verses, you know, after difficulty, there is ease. Ease, yes. Mm -hmm. Right? It's, it, it's kind of very inspiring. And you're like, okay, you know, I, I, I realize I'm going through this challenge right now, but I have to, I, I know it will get better. Mm -hmm. Uh, I recently read a book that also kind of put that into perspective. Uh, it was it's been really recommended at, at the company. And I was I always you know I always look down on these self help books, but I was like you know let, let me give this a shot. A lot of people are talking about it. The book is called Mindset, mm -hmm. and and it's really about you know how you put your mind into things. You know you you shouldn't think that I've, I've to to be able to do this I have to have this I have to have the intelligence. It's really the effort I put into it to get to get better, and that's that's the thing. It's it's every day is a constant struggle. You have to kind of go through that effort, and you know when you reflect back on it, you really look it back and say, you know, these are the things I went through. I had to go through this trial of fire to get to where I am today. So I always reflect back on those things to to kind of get me through those, those hard and challenging times inshallah so i would add now most young people most of our young people uh may not be thinking of faith during their time of uh uh to use a but a stronger word they're going through times where they believe that it's not going right for them it, look I, I need help with this i need help with that so what advice uh, I'll ask both of you, but I'll ask you, Samir, first, since you're we're on the uh, you're on at the moment. Now, what advice would you give our young people who who want to embark on a career such as the paths that both of you are taking and have become successful at what you're doing? What what would you say to the young people who say, "Well, I I want to become a radio announcer. I want to become a rocket scientist. I want to become X, Y, or Z." And Baba says, "No, I want you to be a doctor." Baba says, "No, I want you to be an engineer." How would you uh, steer such a young person who is you know, who wants to go their path that they know deep in their hearts is what they want to do later on in life. What advice can you give them? And I'll start with you, uh, Brother Samir. I'd have to uh, tell them, tell your Baba to give me a call. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> uh -huh. no, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's, it's a, 
it really helps having supportive parents like mm. the way I did, right? Mm. I mean, just just to kind of sidetrack here, I, I always wanted to be a pilot. Mm-hmm. And and it's amazing. My my parents supported that until I, I came across a book on 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 computers, and that completely completely changed my thing. And I, I completely went all in. And again, I was I was fully supported mm-hmm. by my parents on that. But I, I think it, it's 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 a matter of trying to uh, convince your parents uh, that that is that that is that, that is the path you want to go. And and your parents are always going to be worried, right? That yeah. are you going to make a, a decent living on this or not? And uh, and and that's that's what you have to kind of look at it and 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 convince them that look this these are people who have kind of made it uh, these are the, the steps they took this is what they're achieving in life and at times life is not just about uh, the financial aspect of it is it's the is the fulfilling aspect of it like are you happy that's that's what people look at the end of the day I, I know that's a bit of a kind of a, a hard thing for somebody young to do that but I'd also tell the parents who are listening to keep an open mind. I think having a diverse community with people in different professions is a really good thing. Okay. And I'll pose the same question to you, doctor. Um, What would you say to a young person who is, you know, deep in, you know, their convictions? I want to be a pilot. I want to be a a research professor. professor one day and their parents say look i want no i this is i don't think this is right for you what 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 advice would you give a young person who's in that struggle right now doctor are you there so, yeah brother dawood i think doctor mm-hmm. there's a bit of a problem with his connection okay um, so i'm trying to work with him offline to bring okay. him back on all right. Well, in that case, I'll, we'll segue here for now. Uh, just let the folks know that you're listening to the You Mentor program. It's brought to you compliments of the Umoja Outreach Foundation, and you can find out more information about this wonderful, about the wonderful work that uh, Umoja does um, uh, by logging onto their website at www.umojaoutreach. Uh, and in fact, uh, specifically relating to this pr- um, program, uh, is the Umo- Umoja Outreach. Um, dot org for I'm sorry go ahead no I was like umojaoutreach.org slash you mentor yes there's a lot of good details on that inshallah um, website inshallah and I think Dr. Jawad you're back on yes I'm back on thank you sir all right I I had asked um, brother Samir a question Um, you have you know one of our young people who is um, deep in their convictions, I want to be a pilot, I want to be a research uh, professor one day, and their parents say, no, I, I think, you know, you can be, you can do better here doing X, Y, or Z. What would, what advice would you give to a, a young person who is, who is facing that struggle right now? So I always believe that you have to do what your heart tells you to do. You don't want to, you might be really bright and you might be able to do something really well, like being a doctor or engineer or or so forth. But if you're not happy in it, you won't be as productive or be able to really help people if you want to do that. Um, So my advice always is uh, do your heart, do what your heart tells you to do. Um, sometimes you might have to do something on the site to prove to your parents or your, or if you have other naysayers that you're able to do uh, what you want to do. For example, if somebody is going into a scientific field um, the, and the parents or somebody else wants them to do something else, I told them, if you're in high school, join a scientific club or uh, join a research lab at a local university if you can. Or... Uh, participate in some competitions just to prove that you are able to do uh, some XYZ and you can do it really well. Um, once, like we, in my uh, line of work, I always tell something that you have to provide the evidence in order to convince someone of its validity. So if you can do the same thing in your career development, that's always a good piece of advice. Um, for people who are applying specifically for PhD programs, um, and in most cases, that's not a very traditional route, um, and it's a long process, there's no fixed timeline like other professional degrees, I always tell uh, younger students that you have to stay focused, you have to stay committed, 
there are there are always up, but there are a lot of downs too, and it's easy to get uh, unfocused or lose hope. And the idea is to just stay on that path, and inshallah, you will get what you uh, desire. Um, yeah, so just prove that you're able to do something well and go and do it. All right. I'm going to toss it over to my co-host uh, so we can hear from him. Uh, so over to you, uh, Brother Yahya. Thank you. No, I was just listening to all these answers. Uh, like, this is really helpful. So it it is. For, it really is. For giving this really good advice. Um, so I guess, um, whichever one, let me think. Uh, I guess, Brother Samir, um, when you leave university, right, um, when you finish your Bachelor of Computer Science, um, and now 20 years later, you're, you're doing what you do at Microsoft with Azure, the the road that you took from graduation till now is some uh, young people think that it's just linear, <laughs> where you just are slowly progressing throughout the the company and it's just like promotion to promotion to promotion to get to where you are. However, we all um, when you're in the field, you know that that's not how it goes. You switch from team to team, department to department. You you even though you're a software engineer within that realm, there's so much out there that you could do. So to get to the point that you are today where it seems like you're really excited and enjoy what you do, how was that professional path for you? And how did you manage to come to get into the areas that um, you enjoyed? How did you, how did you basically find that path within the corporate structure? Uh, that's a, actually a good question because um, you, you're making me reflect now what, have I, what I have done over the past 20 years. But, you know, my, my initial job was like just at the entry level software engineer. So you're coming in, you're just like a, a fresh out of college. And a lot of these corporate environments are structured in a way that, you know, you, you they allow you to kind of explore. They, they put you in one look, one place where you kind of get some knowledge over there. But then at the end of the day, it's up to you to manage your career. The thing that has helped me is having a good network of mentors because they are the ones who can kind of guide me either like you can say what you can call like a technical mentor or, or a career mentor and as, as you said software is such a wide field like even when i was working in the database group I, I initially joined the database group and i was working on something as simple as you know how do you manage connections coming into the database and I end up doing something in the end doing something really deep as like security or uh, core, core operating system work and it was just a matter of like, okay, this is a place I'm interested in. I'll, 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 I'll go and look at it some more. I'll do some work in that area. And then, you know, eventually I just move into that area because the, the, the people who are managing the team see that there is a potential of, of, of me adding value to that particular group. And a lot of uh, software companies work in that way. Um, the other unique thing as well, uh, which I think is, exists in all of the software companies, is that I've switched between, you know, what you call an individual contributor, some, so somebody who's directly working on code and, and producing code, to a manager where I'm leading a team. I'm not doing that much coding, but I'm like kind of managing the team and what the whole team is doing. So in, in my current role, I, I just joined like the Azure team about six months ago. I've come, I, I used to be a manager in the Windows team, and now I've uh, come back as, as an individual contributor because it's an area that I'm not very familiar with cloud computing. So I, I reached out to my network and I said, okay, I, this is something I really want to do. And, and they introduced me to people. And as I talked to people, I found that this was an area that I, I really wanted to be. And so I, I, I decided to pursue that. So it, it's that, that's, that's what I like about the field I'm in is I don't have to kind of say stay stagnant and working on the same thing. It's always looking for the new challenges. Where's the industry heading? And I can kind of follow it and not be left behind. All right, inshallah. Uh, we'll pose the same question to you, uh, doctor. Uh, the same question uh, to you, but we've got, uh, I believe we have approximately three and a half minutes left. So <laughs> over to you, sir. Okay, sure. Uh, so yes, as Brother Yahya managed, a lot of career progressions are not linear. Um, and I could say it's a little bit true in my case too. The only consistent part of my career is that I went to school at the age of three, and, three or four, and I'm still in school even though I'm still not starting. Um, but it's, it's always a learning experience. Um, so when I got my PhD, a lot of my fellow classmates actually um, left academia and went on to go to industry positions, government positions. 
Um, and from what I know, first of all, only a small percentage of uh, the population gets PhDs. And out of that small percentage, 95% of PhDs do not stay on in academia. They go into industry or get government jobs. So, of course, the reason being is not a lot um, not a lot of people know what goes into an academic profession and it, of course it has its own challenges uh, so for me when i got my phd i wasn't really thinking of becoming a professor i just wanted to be a research scientist an academic research scientist because i just had a passion for science and i wanted to learn new things develop new ideas um, all in the hopes that at the end it would benefit society and just by chance um, at the end of 2016, my senior colleagues approached me and said, hey, Joad, you have been here for so long and we're a great asset to our biomedical engineering department. We would like you to become a research assistant professor. And of course, at that point, I was still debating whether or not I wanted to stay on and go for a faculty position. But uh, as I mentioned before, you have to grab whatever opportunities you can get and this was a great opportunity, and I took it, and alhamdulillah, I'm in the position that I'm in today. Um, and um, the, the best part is, uh, whatever torture uh, my senior colleagues have inflicted on me is long forgiven, and I get to sit on the same committees as them and torture the next generation of students. <laughs> Well, it's, it's been wonderful having you both on the program this afternoon. Uh, I have approximately one minute left. Uh, I would like to split it in two. Uh, 30 seconds to you, doctor. Uh, what final, a final note that you can leave with our young, with our younger uh, youngsters who want to embark on the careers of their dreams? 30 seconds to you. So I always tell younger people, especially if in high school or the university level, if there's something you really want to do, go out and take on opportunities to uh, uh, pursue your dream. If you are into science, join science clubs, go into uh, competitions, um, go to work in a research lab, take on internships, just try it out. You don't know if you love it unless if you try it out. All right, and 30 seconds to you, Brother Samir. <laughs> Uh, given how prevalent computers are in our society, I tell everybody there to at least take one programming course. Uh, don't be intimidated by it because I think that's going to be part of your life uh, going forward. And just be curious, tinker with stuff, fail, and start all over again. All right. I'm going to toss it over to uh, Brother Yahya for uh, his closing remarks, and then I'll be right back right after him, inshallah. Over to you, Brother Yahya. Thank you. Beautiful answers, guys. You yeah. guys kind of make me want to go back in time <laughs> and, and change what I did. Um, but yeah, no. So thank you for the call. Thank you for um, really helping the listeners out um, and for everyone on the call. Um, next, um, you can always tune. If you haven't heard the previous podcast, you can tune on to the website at umajaoutreach.org slash umentor slash mentor. Sorry. Um, and there's a lot, there's our online platform, so you can actually communicate and be in contact with the panelists from today and our previous shows. Um, and the whole goal is to give everyone an equal opportunity and to leverage the experience that we have in our community to reach your dreams and goals. So we look forward to having you on the future calls and thank you very much. All right. We look forward to, to uh, please join us next week for another exciting program here on Umento, right here on WASR.life.